as I'm recording this right now, a little before 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. What a wonderful night. My parents are in town. Such a gift. I don't take that for granted. It's my mom's birthday this week. Happy birthday, mom. She Her birthday is actually on Saturday, but we got to celebrate tonight with Joel and Tosh Everson, who so many of you at this point know and love, or surely you must feel like you know them vicariously. And Joel's wonderful mom, Gail, uh, beautiful Gail, who we love. So speaking of Joel, it's good to be a fan. Some of y'all have heard me say that before. And while I have fun with it in the latest book, The Road Away From God, in terms of pop culture, I also always say that the people who I'm most a fan of are the people that are actually in my life around me that are so remarkable. Joel is certainly one of the most exceptional humans that I've ever known. Beyond being my best friend, he wears a whole lot of hats. And so many of you got to know Joel from the season where he produced the Zeitcast in such a wonderful way. Now, obviously, since I'm doing this myself now, you have probably felt the dip. <laughs> because what Joel was bringing, not only in terms of the production quality, but the music that he makes. And he is, uh, Joel and Tosh both, such amazing singers, songwriters, all the stuff that they do. But in terms of the many Joel Everson hats, well, and I can't not say, I need to bring it up one more time. The Whisk here in Greencastle, coolest bourbon spot in America, also the best food in our little town. And I'm evangelistic about it. I've you, you, Some of y'all need to make a pilgrimage to Greencastle to get to The Whisk. It's such a special place. So Joel wears a lot of hats, but for the purpose of today, Joel is also the associate pastor at Gobin United Methodist and I tell you, I always love it when Joel preaches, but this is my favorite sermon I've ever heard Joel preach. It's also my favorite sermon I've ever heard on the woman at the well, uh, which is really saying something because I've heard a lot of uh, sermons that were really good on the woman at the well. But I think the take is so fresh and interesting and spirit led. Uh, the depth at which he tackles, and I don't know, just the depth for sure, but just the the emotional layers to this sermon. I, I think I cried through half of it at the time, and it's still my favorite thing in the world to be able to share the things and the people that I love the most. And this sermon was one of those. I told Joel as soon as it was over, it's like, okay, you got to let me put the sermon on the Zeitcast because people need to hear this. I don't give too much setup because I think the whole refrain, Jesus is thirsty. Uh, I, I just want you to to kind of inject this directly <laughs> into your system and I want to get out of the way. I will say, I think it's so cool that it's Women's History Month and without forcing that in some way, this just happened to be the lectionary text. I know Joel, like myself, we trust that, we go with that. I mean, just preaching the text, following where the gospel takes us. But boy, does this gospel take us to provocative and wonderful places um, via the spirit-led imagination of one right Reverend Joel Everson. So I want to kick it right over to him and I won't jump back on because I want you just to be able to soak this in. As always, I want to take a moment to say thank you to those of us who are those who are able to support on Patreon in any way. Uh, so appreciated. Liking, commenting, reviewing, sharing those things that if you take 
a moment or two to do it because this is somehow speaking to your soul uh, just is, is tremendous for me and for us. So thanks uh, for those of you who are able to do that. But I, I really, more than anything, and I to say this in the least preachy way possible, I want this to be something that feeds your soul. It's not just everywhere that my soul is is fed like this. And so when something kind of hits a main artery in me, I'm eager to be able to share it because uh, I want you to be moved by the thing that uh, that seized me in this particular sermon. So, all right, Brother Joel, I'm kicking it to you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Zeitcast. Jesus is thirsty. And in this Clinton season, I believe there is an invitation for us to follow this same thirst. Today, in our Clinton season, we step into the next major movement of the Gospel of John. This is found in another lengthy dialogue between Jesus and in an author, specifically the longest exchange with Jesus documented in the In this moment, we find Jesus in Samaria speaking with an anonymous voice at Jacob's well. Now, as we've mentioned through the years, the Gospel of John seems to be about retelling and widening out the principles. Following the trajectory of abundant, radical, gratuitous grace and ubiquitous inclusion and affirmation of all people as God's chosen people. A divine is so humble, so free, and so forgiving that the Holy would give himself in all things from the beginning of time before time. Because Jesus. Thirsty. Now, for many of us, this passage has often been interpreted and preached roughly as follows. See, stay with me. Jesus initiates spiritual conversation. The woman begins to ridicule Jesus' statement, pointing out his inability to provide what he seems to offer. You don't even have to achieve it. After a brief confrontation, which Jesus points out the lack of an eternal solution to her spiritual problem, the woman continues with a rather sarcastic attitude, as women like to do. That finally tells us had enough, and he then forcefully exposes to set the women's life pattern of broken family relationships, specifically sexual relationships. Now cut to the heart by Jesus' super all-knowing expert vision. The woman acknowledges this in the moment of truth telling by Jesus and calls him a prophet, but then, even as every during Robin Sarah tends to do, she tries to avoid the real issues of her sin and spiritual need of redirection in order to avoid dealing with the real issue of her dependentness to his lifestyle. Again, sex is the problem if you're not clear. Jesus does his thing, and no one more soul is saying that this was a Twitter exchange. 
Jesus would have been retweeted many times and he would have been heartily written. Though this may not be the only way this text has been preached, it is the most And it follows a generally negative view that mostly misogynistic, specifically the Samaritan. And because of this popular interpretation, what presupposes that the woman was particularly unworthy. It sees the entire conversation that it is viewpoints. I would like to recommend for us today an entirely different trajectory for understanding this story. Now, when we read this passage, we have a tendency to read our cultural norms back into the text. For example, the focus of this woman's immorality tends to center around the same thing we are obsessed with in our country today. Causing us to legislate laws that are doing harm on people. We are obsessed with sexuality. It's just that simple. This is only exacerbated by the assumption that she has been divorced, something that is not found within the text. We see that she's had five husbands and is with someone who is now not her husband. Read into that, she must be a chronic and probably sexually preventing with adultery. The first problem with this reading is that the culture of that day, of course, was not religiously but culturally considered a sin. It was common. Second, a woman was not legally permitted to file for a divorce from her husband. So in this story, it is that the woman was divorced. It means that five men have legally abandoned her. And if Jesus never said she was divorced, it's just as likely that she is five times widow as divorced. In addition to the pain of this tragedy, it would have marked her in the future of that day as somehow cursed by God, inflicting unending shame. This paints a far different picture of the spirit of woman. Often, people have said that she's going to uh, one of the middle of the day because of, again, being outcast in society because of her sexual sin or many divorces. I would like to suggest that it's more possible she could point the well and take time to avoid the crowds because she'd been shut. It's a shame. And because she might have been hiding this shame for the abandonment from these men much more so than some type of sexual promiscuity. And friends, I need to make no mistake by saying this with every ounce of confidence I have. This woman who had undoubtedly formed a great tragedy in the hurricane was living in shame. That Jesus then. And there is not a simple time in which Jesus encounters someone who is hurting and introduces fear, shame, condemnation, or intimidation. Because Jesus is thirsty. Now, if we're honest, there are some biases that are likely important as you read this text. These biases are not something new, but rather many times things that you are handed. This is the deep part of this text, and it's in the divine Jesus. You see, it was culturally abnormal for a man, a rabbi, no less, to speak with a woman in public. 
Jesus destroys these social laws. And not only speaks to this woman, but records the longest dialogue of Jesus in the entire gospel. Do you see that John the Baptist also wanted us to understand the gravity of this moment? Jesus is doing something here that is revolutionary, He's upending what has been perceived as natural law. And in one sitting, Jesus overturns thousands of years of that's not how we think. Maybe we need a little bit more overturning of that's just not how we do it, thinking. Because Jesus, there's... Now, in some translations, it states that Jesus needs to pass through Samaria, and scholars say that this need language referred to a compulsion rather than by looking at the map, we can see that Jesus chose to travel from Samaria, going out of his way to do so. But further, he chose to travel from Samaria, which was a country that people of the Jews did not mingle with. And they avoided it all across. This tells us that the location of the conversation is as important as the conversation itself. You see, John's Gospel has told us all of the locations of Jesus' ministry up to this point. We have in Galilee and in Canaan and Bethany, and finally leading up to the story of John and John Three, we find Jesus in Jerusalem speaking with respected Jewish leaders and the rabbis in the tradition. And this is important because until this point, you find a common theme. Jesus has been around Orthodox Jewish people who are a lot like him and think a lot like him and live a lot like him. He's working within the context of his group and his tribe, which is why John, the gospel writer, Said with a wink and a nod, people need to know that Jesus is in Samaria. Now, during the first century, the religion of the Samaritans was very similar to the Jews. They accepted the Pentateuch and observed the Jewish feasts. You might recognize that in the story, even they said that they believed the prophecies that a Messiah would come. But there's a long and complicated history that still is, in many ways, complicated today. What I hear in this story, what I have to say, is that Jesus is not afraid of your complexity. Jesus is not shy, and Jesus will not stay away. Things get weird. Because undoubtedly, there's no way to read the text. It's not just screaming and weird and loaded with complexity. You have to like us, because Jesus starts to now, this marks location in the story is well at Sacramento or Jacob's well, and it's still one of the most distant sites of the West Bank today. It is housed inside the beautiful Eastern Orthodox Church called St. Christina. Recent scholarship actually suggests that this sacred site, this well, was tended by women, women, excuse me, who were stewards serving in the Samaritan priesthood. This interpretation would suggest that Jesus is having an interfaith dialogue with a spiritual leader from another faith stream about the nature of true community and tribe and what it means for your spiritual life to be tied to location and religious group. In this groundbreaking dialogue, we find a revolutionary understanding that if we believe our group, our history, our tradition, our soil, is somehow affirmed as holy, then we have a responsibility to proclaim that all creation is affirmed and connected and that all the soil is holy. Because friends, Jesus 
stones in it. And while many of us in a modern post uh, modern Protestant tradition, this presumptuously anonymous woman seems unimportant, but as it often the case within history, this woman is not unknown, but she ignored at the highest levels of our Christian heritage. The Eastern Orthodox Church tradition records her name as Saint or Fotina. She's likewise remembered as being a great woman and being an equal to the disciples and an apostle of the apostles. Fotina is recorded as being baptized by the disciples when they gave her this name, Fotina, which means enlightened one who brings enlightenment. She spent her life evangelizing, converting countless peoples, and sharing the gospel not only to Maria, but beyond. She sent a child to Carthage, and then she received a vision from Jesus telling her to go to Providence and directly to Emperor Nero in Rome. She's one of the earliest and most common icons and sacred pictures of saints in early church history. This incredible apostle of faith spoke boldly in the face of Nero, the most brutal, one of the most brutal and violent emperors the world has ever known. Because the best power is dead friends, Jesus is thirsty. And we know that Jesus is thirsty, and we know what he's thirsty for, don't we? In the Sermon on the Mount, we find, blessed are those who thirst for justice, for they will be filled. And when Jesus thirsts for justice, for the systems of oppression to be overturned, through the arrows of history over and over and over again, we find courageous, strong, intrepid women who in the face of overwhelming oppression and persistent patriarchy have been the ones the divine uses to address these injustices. But we also know that those in power those with the pen that write the stories of our civilization have so often attempted to erase the incredible work and witness of these powerful women. These women, like St. Fotina, who the tradition teaches us, after she had come to Nero, to speak to him about injustice and oppression within the Roman Empire, she was arrested, she was blinded, and had both of her feet amputated. Further, they ignored down a well where the tradition said she lived without food or water for 30 years. But when here, the Emperor Nero's child was sitting in the deathbed, she asked to be brought to the child, where she prayed for his son, who was miraculously healed. Because over and over and over, we find stories of women who, in the face of violent evil, refuse to terrorize those who have terrorized them. Who, over and over again, are rejected, hated, oppressed, and marginalized, and recycled it as radical for giving love. Because Jesus. And this kind of strikes fear in the hearts of those who wield power of empire against the vulnerable. And then, just so in November 1955, Emmett Till's young body lay in an open casket for all the world to see the brutality of what white supremacy and hatred could do. You find his mother, maybe Till, standing in front of cameras, telling the world, this is her only baby. 
has been taken over in brutal violence, staring into the cameras and saying, I don't have a point to hate, but I will pursue justice in love with every breath in my body for every moment of my life. Because And over and over again, history has tried to erase women when they have done this work of joining in Jesus' thirst to silence their voices, to make them appear anonymous, powerless, that we find God working with them to accomplish God's purpose of hope, liberation, and justice in the world. We see this over and over again with women in the Bible, like David's wives that are often not mentioned, Abishag and Abigail, like Jacob's daughter that's often excluded, Deniah, like the great judge Deborah, Aaron's wife, Elizabeth, Caleb's wife, Esther, like Zipporah and Jael. Like Miriam, who in our First Testament text today, not only does she lead Israel across the Red Sea, dancing and singing songs of liberation, the reason the Israelite people are upset is they don't have water is because Miriam was the one who was gifted as water. The Jewish Midrash actually teaches that while they moved through the wilderness, a great rock rolled behind Miriam. And when she would begin to sing and dance, the rock would spring forth with bells of water to supply them drink in trials. Because Jesus thirsty. In a more modern context, like the women of the civil rights movement, we see this again. These people who are so often forgotten cast into the shadows were behind Septima Clark, Ella Baker, Fanny Lee Gwendolyn Simmons. Doris dirty, on and on and on. Because Jesus is thirsty and he's for me will be thirsty as well. And I know in a Roman context, when I want to know where Jesus is working, I look for Pastor Elisa Isaac's baby, and Bobby Lancaster, Reverend Dr. Murray Hughes of Landau. Marianne Savage, and Kim Fiddler, and Latasha Everson, and Barbara Jackson, and Jamie Douglas, and Bethany Robin, and Miles and Mama. Because Jesus is thirsty. And we must continue to work for a world where these voices are no longer silenced, no longer reduced to the anonymous. Because Jesus is thirsty for the world to be made right, and he invites us to listen, learn from, and led by the work and witness of these courageous, intrepid, strong, gifted women as they do justice of mercy and walk with Jesus. We, in this wonderful month where we have the opportunity to celebrate the witness in the history of women, are invited to do so following the mercy as they follow the Jesus. Thirsty. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit.